So today I want to talk about a good father. What is a good father? What does a good father look like? What, according to Scripture, is the role and the purpose of a good father? But I want to start off today, I'm just going to give you some statistics. And I'm going to start with this article. Dads make a big difference. You see, children who grow up with involved fathers are 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school, 45% less likely to repeat a grade, 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, two times as likely to go to college and find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, and 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Fathers, you matter. Now let me mention to you that says involved fathers. Okay, that is important. But I have a few more statistics I want to read, and this is from Focus on the Family, a Christian ministry, and I'm just going to read to you some of their words concerning dads. You see, the family needs a dad to be present. Nearly 20 million children in America, that's almost one in four, live without a father in the home. Sadly, children in this situation face unique challenges. Statistically, they're more likely to grow up with financial challenges, more likely to drop out of school. Boys from fatherless homes are more likely to be involved in a violent crime, while girls are more likely to become pregnant as teenagers. In addition... And here's some of their statistics. 71% of all high school dropouts come from homes with absent fathers. 85% of all youth in prison come from homes without fathers. Did you hear that number? 85%. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. That's huge. Fathers, you matter. And the final statistic from the Focus on the Family article said 70% of teen suicides occur in homes where there's no father. Father, you matter. Fathers must be present and fathers must be involved. Now, as I mentioned, we read those statistics and maybe you're in a single parent home. I want to give you encouragement. Moms, if you're doing it yourself, Find a father figure who can speak into your children's lives. And church, your church family is a good place to do that. Find a a friend, find a friend's husband, whoever. Church, don't let your kids go without a father figure, without somebody speaking into their lives. And moms who are doing this alone, I want to congratulate you and I want to say keep going strong. And allow healthy men to be there as well for your kids. And to the rest of the church, fathers and men alike, be available. Be available for kids who maybe don't have a father. Keep your eyes open and look around. Do you see someone who may need you to come alongside? Let's not be so focused on our little situation that we forget about others. So man, I'm going to challenge you with that today. But a good father, what does a good father look like? Now, obviously, 
Scripture has a lot to say about that. And the first thing we understand from Scripture is that our Heavenly Father is our example as fathers. Listen to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. It says, But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So our Heavenly Father is our example. He's the one we desire to imitate or be like. Now, fathers, I realize there is none of us that are perfect, but he is our perfect example, and we should aim to follow his example because he is the ultimate good father. So what makes a good father? Well, I believe that Scripture tells us that good fathers learn from and obey their heavenly father. And this is the number one thing if you want to be a good father. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22. I'm just going to read one verse for you, and then we'll go from there. It said, Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Now this, of course, is the story of Noah and God giving him direction to build the big ark and to save whoever would be willing to come on it. Now Noah at the time was more than 500 years old when he got the word that you got to build a boat, and Noah would begin. God gave the word of judgment 120 years before it took place. And they've studied, and it probably took about 75 years to build that boat. And he and his boys and daughter-in-laws and wife built that boat and obeyed God, and because they obeyed God, because Noah obeyed God, his family was blessed. His family was delivered. But not only his, how many generations further did he bless? Uh, you and I are here, thanks to Noah obeying God. It's a fact. Now, Noah was not perfect, but he was a good father. Another father that comes to mind when we talk about good fathers is Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, we read something about Abraham. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. 75 years old, God tells him, I want you to do this, and I'm going to bless you. And we read that Abram did it. Fathers, when we obey our heavenly father, we bring blessing on the generations that follow. And not just our own children. Listen to Genesis 22 and verse 17. It says, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Whoo! Fathers, simply obeying God's direction for you can bless many generations. Now, we know that this is statistically true. 
Maybe you've read the article. I've read a number of different articles, but one sticks out in my mind about two men. Now, I believe they were somehow related, and they've gone far back in the family lines. And one of the men decided, I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to do whatever I want. And then they followed the generations following him. And as they followed through the generations, the people who were criminals began to build. There was poverty. There was sickness. There was bank robbers. It just expanded because of his decision. There was another man in the same time frame, and I, I believe if I'm getting it right, was related somehow. He decided, I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. I'm going to live right. And they traced his family line, and in his family line, there was prosperity. There was doctors, lawyers, teachers. There was the stability and health that passed from generation to generation to generation. Fathers, if I can tell you something this morning, what you're doing today is not just about you. And it's not even just about your kids. You have the ability to change generations simply obeying your heavenly father. See, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. God made him a promise and said, if you obey me, this is what I'm going to do. Do you realize he obeyed God and did what God asked him to do, and he didn't even have an heir yet. But God said, I'm going to bless many generations. Young men, maybe you don't have a family yet. Maybe you're not even thinking of it. Obey God, because the day's coming when you're going to pass it on to generations. Obey him now. Abraham believed the promise not for just five years, not for just 10 years, for 25 years. He obeyed God and did everything God told him with a promise that would come, but it took 25 years. You know, it's a good thing he didn't decide, oh, you made a promise, it didn't happen yet, I quit after five years. Okay, God, I obeyed you faithfully for five years and you didn't do anything, I quit. Or maybe 10 years. Well, I've been doing this for 10 years now, I went where you said, I've done everything. I quit. 25 years. I don't know what promise God's given you. I don't know what prayer request you have for him. But men, don't you give up. You keep obeying God. You keep being faithful. And God will fulfill his word to you. You see, good fathers want to be like their heavenly father. Good fathers obey him. And good fathers also meet the needs of their family. This is scriptural. Good fathers meet the needs of their kids, their spouses. Matthew chapter 6 and 31 talks about how our heavenly father does it. Remember, he's our example. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So our Heavenly Father's example. He wants to meet our needs. Philippians 4, verse 19. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So our Heavenly Father 
meets his kids' needs according to his riches. Now, obviously, our Heavenly Father is abundant and overflowing in riches, and he blesses and meets needs in that way. Now, if he's our example, then we as earthly fathers should meet the needs accordingly to what we possess. So that may look different in each family. If there's a family and they're in a position where they're buying quads and cars and they have it, but you're in a family where God's blessed you differently, then you just bless accordingly. But you don't bless stingy. Bless the way the Heavenly Father does with what you have. Does that make sense? So no matter what level of income you are, dads, you bless in a way that you can, the way God would, and God multiplies back. I think about how can you bless. Often when we talk about blessing and meeting needs, people only think of finance. But fathers, you meet the needs of your families in more ways than just finance. You maybe are in a position where you don't have the money to buy something, but do you have time to go for a walk? Do you have time to go for a drive? Do you have time to go fishing? It's still so much fun, and what a blessing to take kids and talk and be a blessing to them. Give time, give, and meet needs of your kids, fathers. And yes, I realize moms do a lot of this as well, but today we're focusing mainly on the fathers. I want to encourage them, and I want to bless them. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. All right, we're talking about good fathers. What do good fathers do? Did you know that one of the things good fathers do is leave inheritance? Isn't that interesting? So good fathers, we should be thinking about the future, not just our own present not just what we want and need, but what about the future? Are we thinking about what we can leave for our kids, but also our grandkids? That's amazing, isn't it? You're like, well, I'm not that rich. I don't care. Leave $100 to your kids and $100 to your grandkids. You can do that. There's no amount set on that, is there? But think forward. So the, the thing he's saying is good fathers also think about the future when they're gone. Isn't that amazing? So maybe today you're like, I'd love to do that. I can't even pay my bills, it feels like. Gas prices are so high, and you know that heating bill is crazy. How am I supposed to think about the future? I know somebody who has wisdom about these kind of things. Yeah, he's called our Heavenly Father. Do you remember the story of Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world? What did he ask for? Wisdom. He said, Lord, I need some wisdom. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you wisdom. And from that wisdom is going to come a whole lot of amazing things. And one of those is going to be prosperity. So fathers, if you're not sure how you can do anything for the future at this point in your life, just ask God for wisdom and then start. So good fathers, think about the future and think about inheritance. I don't know why this came to me, but maybe someone's thinking, well, I just... There's no way I can put away anything for the future. Like, I just don't see how. I believe there is a way. There's always a way. You think about what you spend daily, weekly, and put a little bit aside for the future. It's a matter of starting, and you know, in our culture, you go to the bank and say, I want a, an account for the future, and they'll tell you what to do, and you ought make it automatic for a certain amount to go in. 
Like, I don't think I can afford anything. Well, go to Tim Hortons last, buy one less fish hook a week. You know, whatever. There's a way, there's a way. Okay. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. This is a little bit of a warning for the early church. Maybe a little bit of a rebuke, you'd say. So I'm going to read it, and then I'll explain a little more. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this was a verse and a little bit of a rebuke for the early church. Because if you remember when the early church began, a number of them just left everything to follow Jesus. Then those people told more people, and they kind of got together and hung out, but that wasn't where they were supposed to stay. And so some of them actually got this mindset that they didn't need to work anymore. I'll just hang out and eat free food. But God didn't want that for them. Work is important for us. As men and women, work is important. And God, through the writer, says, hey, you need to provide for your family. Fathers, you need to provide for your family. And he makes a pretty strong statement if you don't. So never is being a Christian or a believer an excuse not to work or to be lazy. I actually believe that as Christians, you should be the hardest worker at your place of work. You should be the um, person who's setting an example. If you're a believer and you're lazy, that's not okay. Anybody here ever worked with someone who's lazy and doesn't want to work? A couple of people put their hands. The rest of you that didn't must, no, no, we won't go there. <laughs> You're just too polite. You didn't want to put your hand up. Of course, right? You may have. Did you know God doesn't want us to be lazy? He wants us to step up and to be an example, to work hard. So men, fathers, be an example and be willing to step in and do your best. Remember, you're an example to your kids, but you're also a example of Christ when you call yourself a believer. If you call yourself a believer and you show up late at work and then just kind of hide out because you don't feel like it, you're actually giving a testimony to unbelievers around you. So instead, give them a testimony that says, hey, I know how to work. Work is not a bad word. I've told you that before. Work is good for us. Gives us purpose. It pays the bills. So men, do not be afraid. Good fathers. What makes a good father? I believe another thing that makes a good father is that they instruct and correct. Proverbs 3 and verse 12. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So here God is saying, I correct just like fathers correct. And he says he corrects those he loves, and he corrects a child in whom he delights. And I want to make a statement here right off the bat when we're talking about correction and instruction. Correction and instruction is not abuse, and it should never be in anger. And it is done out of love in somebody you delight in. That kind of correction is amazing, isn't it? If you loved somebody, you delighted in them, and you had to correct them, it would actually be difficult, wouldn't it? You'd be like, man, how do I do this in a way that builds them up? Do you see the picture? Sometimes people have 
a mindset that, oh, well, doesn't Scripture, you know, it's all about uh, really extreme punishment and following every rule. You'd be surprised Scripture doesn't actually bring it out that way. And he says the Lord does it just like a father who loves and delights in their child. Maybe you're here this morning and you had a father that didn't maybe do it the right way. Maybe you even felt like it seemed like my father hated me. I want to encourage you that that is not the right way. That is not the example. But God can heal your heart from that. And fathers, if you had a father like that, change it. Let your fathership be the way God wants it. And change it for future generations. Show them love. Be giving correction in love. And Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. You see, discipline is important. And according to this scripture, if you do nothing, you're actually showing hate like you don't care. Someone who cares wants to train and show them the truth. I remember many years ago traveling with an evangelist. And I remember one time he had shared this verse at a tent meeting. He'd shared the verse and you know, a couple times he'd shared it. And finally, one day his teenage son came to him. And his teenage son came to him and he was actually crying. And he said, Dad, I've heard that verse. Dad, you hate me, don't you? You've never disciplined me. You've never corrected me. And the son was actually crying. Mom did all the correcting. Dad stayed out of the picture. Dads, it's not okay to not be involved in instruction and healthy correction. Dads, don't just try to be the good guy and show up and never give out instruction. So know this, you show love to your children when you give them proper instruction and healthy correction. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Ephesians 6, verse 4, we read this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Fathers, we're not supposed to make our kids angry. If the way you're instructing or doing it is making them angry, find a different way. And each of your children may be different. So find a way that works. I want to go back for just a minute to the story of Noah, but out of the New Testament, 2 Peter 2, verse 5. I'm going here for a reason, but let me read it. It said, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. See, Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. In this verse. And I've read this and I thought to myself, was Noah a good preacher? And your first thought might be, well, I don't know. Nobody got in the boat except his family. Maybe he was horrible. But when I think about this, I've decided he was a very good preacher because his entire family got in the boat with him. You see, the family knew him more than anybody else. And dad... Your family knows you more than anybody else. And your family is your first role and the most important. Are they following you the way you follow God? I believe Noah did a great job because don't forget, he was asking them to do something 
to build something that had never been built because there was something coming that had never been. Rain. They didn't even know what it was. A worldwide flood. They had no idea. And they believed him. I believe he was a good preacher. You see, as preachers, as men that lead their families, you know, there's a scripture that says that fathers, you're the priest of your home. That means you're the leader of your home. Are you a good preacher? Are they following? Obviously, actions speak louder than words, and if we're only saying the words but not doing it, it's probably not going to work. But a good father instructs and corrects his children, and a good father who's a believer encourages children to follow God and does it well. Dads, once again, you can't leave that all up to mom. We must be willing to step up and lead them to Christ. I remember when I was young and a time in my life when I really felt that my father caused for me to have a desire and a passion to do ministry and for the word. I remember I was a teenager at the time and dad said, we're going to have Wednesday night Bible studies and we're going to look at the word and we're going to study it. And sure enough, every Wednesday we're going to have a Bible study. But then he said, you know what? I think it's time for the kids to lead the Bible study. And so he gave us opportunity if we wanted to lead the Bible study. I thought that was a cool idea. And so I wanted to learn more about the Bible and I wanted to study it. And uh, I'm old enough that when I was a teenager, there was an internet where you could find everything. Uh, so we actually had books, hardcover books, you know, concordances and Bible dictionaries. And I remember using dad's books to learn more. And it gave me an opportunity to step into something that I really enjoyed. And then dad said, you know, I think we need a gospel band. So he went and bought all the equipment. And my mom was a music teacher, so uh, she played keyboard and uh, a little bit of guitar. But So she taught some of us the instruments. So we had all these instruments. We had a gospel band. Now, I don't know how good we were, but, uh, you know, they said we were all right, and uh, we would play in this big building. We had a bit of a tourist uh, farm, but we had this big building. We had all our equipment in there, and we would practice every week, and Grandma and Grandpa would come listen to us. And I, I still remember to this day, Grandma would come, and she would fill her ears with cotton, and uh, Grandpa would turn both hearing aids off. And they loved us. They said we were amazing. I mean, they clapped, and they were our biggest fans. It was a small building, and we had acoustic drums. And my brother was the drummer, but they thought it was great. I remember Dad gave us opportunity to do something for the Lord. Fathers, give your teenagers opportunity to do something for the Lord. And fathers, do not leave your teenagers at home from church. Fathers don't stay home from church. Did you know that kids will follow the father before the mother when it comes to their faith? If dads stay home and it doesn't matter, the kids will eventually stay home. Even if mom forces them, when they're of age, they'll quit. But if dad is leading the way, the kids will continue. That's a fact. Now moms, don't give up. Keep doing your part. But dads, I'm telling you today, you play a big part in that. When your teenagers are like, oh, I don't know, give them opportunities. 
A teenager wants to be able to do something, to be a part of something, not just sit and watch. Give them opportunities, but do not leave them at home. You will regret it if you do. The day will come when serving God in church means nothing to them. Because, Dad, you said it was okay. Give them opportunities. And, hey, i got to say as a pastor, we have opportunities for teenagers here. And if your teenager has a gift or something they want to do that we don't know about yet, we'll make a brand new opportunity. We want to see them grow. But, of course, there are opportunities outside the church walls as well. Fathers, pray and give your teens opportunities to serve God. I remember the very first time we ever played in public. You guys would have loved to be there. No, you probably wouldn't have. But anyhow, I remember the first time we played in public as a band of teenagers. It was at my grandpa's 80th birthday. Okay, nobody else would have us, but it was an opportunity. And it was amazing. Fathers, create opportunities for your kids, especially your teenagers. I'm challenging the fathers today. Fathers, create opportunities. Make opportunities. Learn what your kids' gifts are. Learn what their passions are and give opportunity. They will thank you forever. And my final point is going to take a little bit, so, you know, don't put your stuff together to leave yet. But this is my final point. Good fathers love. 1 John 4 and 8 He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Good fathers love, and I want to read this first, because good fathers love their children's mother. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. In a family setting, if dad doesn't show love to mom, the kids are not going to respect dad. It's just a fact. Because you see, kids, especially when they're little, mom is everything to them. And if dad is disrespecting or dishonoring mom, the kids are going to have disrespect for dad. And they're just not going to care. Okay, so that's a fact. Men, you need to show love for your kid's mom if you want to be a father who's respected and a father who your children will follow. Now I realize there may be situations that are out of your control. There's things that have happened. I can't do anything about what happened yesterday, and neither can you. But you can start fresh today with how you reach out and with how you show love. You see, children watch our actions, and they see if they match our words. Psalm 103 and verse 10 is a great verse about love. Listen to this. It's talking about the Lord first, but I want you to see how it ends. It says, He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For His unfailing love toward those who fear Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to His children, tender and compassionate to those who fear Him. The writer says God is like a father to his children. He wanted them to picture God, and apparently at the time of this writing, fathers were tender and compassionate. Did you know there's a verse in Scripture that says, before the Lord comes, he's going to send a prophet who will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Fathers, 
Yes, you can be manly. Yes, you can be the head of them. Yes, you can be tough. But you also need to know how to show compassion and to be tender to your children. They need it from you. And God says, I'm going to be like a father who's tender and compassionate. I'm not going to deal harshly. I'm going to be forgiving. I am going to forgive. Fathers, we must be willing to forgive. And we must be compassionate. Jesus told a story about how he felt it should be. And many of you know that story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son left. The prodigal son really was arrogant and angry and kind of said to his dad, you're taking too long to die. You know, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me. Took the money, the inheritance, took off and did everything his dad had taught him not to do. Did every bad and evil thing he could think of. Finally, he had no money, no friends, and he's eating with the pigs. And he comes to his senses and says, I think I'm going to go back home. And verse 20 says this, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Fathers, we must be tender, compassionate, and forgiving. We can't be brazen and angry and never letting wrongs go. And just like that, our Heavenly Father is toward us. And church, I want to encourage you this morning, know this, Whatever you've done in the past, you can ask God to forgive you, and he will forgive you. Maybe you're here today, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never allowed him to forgive you. We're going to give you opportunity today to do that. Because so many live with regret from the past. So many live with pain and hurt from the past, and they need God to heal them. And forgiveness is the beginning of healing. Christ said that, He came that he might give us abundant life. He came to set us free, and that's who he is. You see, our Heavenly Father loved us so much. He said in John 3, 16, he loved the world so much that he gave his only son to die on a cross in our place. And Jesus paid the price on a cross that yours and my sins can be forgiven, that we can feel new and alive inside. Romans 10 and verse 9 says, if you confess it with your mouth, and believe it in your heart, you can be saved. And so we want to give opportunity this morning in case there's one. If you've never accepted Christ, we just want you to repeat this prayer after us. And I'm telling you, you will forgive. And you will feel changed. So if you'll join me this morning and repeat this prayer with me. I'm going to ask you all to join in. We're not trying to single anybody out this morning. Repeat this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you now, forgive me of all my wrongs. Make me new. Take my life. I am yours. 
Amen.